0: Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. Start monitoring your container clusters today. Sign up for a free trial and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com/cloudcast to get started today. That's datadog.com/cloudcast.
1: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good
0: morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios as we move into the middle part of July 2021. Hope everybody's doing well, and especially hope my 14-year-old nephew, Johnny, is doing well. Apparently, my brother has started uh, making him listen to the Cloudcast podcast on some of their uh, long drives, commutes, and summer vacations, and so forth. And uh, apologize for that, Johnny. Sorry, my brother's making you do that. But apparently, my nephew thinks I have a lot of energy in my uh, my introduction. So appreciate the comments, appreciate the feedback, and uh, let's jump right into cloud news of the week because there's a lot of money that moved hands, a lot of money changing hands here, not only uh, in this week but also in sort of the first and second quarter of the year. So let's jump right into that. Um, Some numbers came out for VC funding uh, in both Q2 and Q1. And Q2 apparently was a record number kind of ever. Uh, So $156 billion in VC activity in Q2 for 2021. So uh, what is that? April, May, and June. Lots of money changing hands. And 288 billion so far this year. So uh, lots of uh, bigger deals being thrown around out there. Lots of money uh, investing in innovation. So obviously, I think uh, people where the money. You know, it's always we always say follow the money. So obviously, the money is uh, running towards innovation. Hopefully, we're going to start seeing some really really interesting innovation. And I think you know that sort of makes sense because we we talked about Aaron and I have talked about this maybe on the end of the year 2020 show or some of the others. You know, anytime we have a huge issue, uh, global issue whether it's you know when uh, the the market crashed in 2020 in 2001 the dot-com crashed or we had the financial crisis in 08 and then obviously we had the pandemic last year usually uh, you see some pretty interesting and sometimes dumb but pretty interesting Uh, innovation come out of that. And obviously, nowadays, uh, you know, with innovation happening so fast, I think we're seeing more and more money being thrown at that innovation to try and make it uh, accelerate even faster. So lots of money floating around. And let's dive in a little bit into some of where that money's floating around. Um, Microsoft decided to acquire digital threat management firm Risk IQ for $500 million. So Microsoft making another big investment uh, in the security space. Obviously, people doubling down on security, software supply chains. Uh, Microsoft has been really uh, kind of amping up their uh, what we call cybersecurity, uh, you know, watching the internet, watching what's going on. Uh, this is gonna help that. And another company with a similar name, but a different company, Attack IQ, gets uh, $44 million in funding to advance security optimization. So lots of money flowing into the security space. Obviously, that makes sense. We've seen a lot of very high-profile ransomware attacks and software supply chain attacks here recently. So a uh, lot of doubling down on maybe some alternative, uh, hopefully better ways of, of securing all of our data, whether it's credit card data or uh, you know things that are keeping oil refineries running and everywhere in between. And then finally, I want to give a big shout out. You know, we, we've got certain friends of the show that uh, we always like to see doing cool things, and. Friends of the show, uh, both Sebastian and Mark over at TriggerMesh, got a new round of funding, both from Cisco, as well as our friend Anil Lakani, who is now in the VC space over at Crane, uh, making an investment in TriggerMesh. So TriggerMesh, lots of focus around event-driven applications, new types of applications with event-driven streams, uh, work around Knative. So congratulations to those folks. Good to see uh, money flowing into some some very smart folks, and folks who have been uh, have a track record of uh, getting things done, and uh, obviously moving the the ball forward in terms of new technology. So congratulations to TriggerMesh, and that kind of wraps up our cloud news of the week. A lot of money flowing around, like we mentioned, uh, you know, literally. Uh, hundreds of billions of dollars so far, almost th- almost $300 billion so far in the first half of the year. We'll see where the second half of the year goes, but uh, exciting time to be working in innovation, exciting time to be uh, working on new technology, and uh, also kind of an exciting time to be working on containers. And we're going to dive a little more into what's going on with containers, especially in the public cloud, uh, right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Spot from NetApp, the cloud automation platform that makes it easy to deliver continuously optimized infrastructure at the lowest possible cost. Spot helps customers get the most out of their cloud investments by automating cloud infrastructure to ensure performance, reduce complexity, and optimize cost. Their machine learning and automation scale to exactly meet application needs using the most efficient mix of instances and pricing models, eliminating the risks of overprovisioning and cloud waste. Best of all, their software works with leading cloud platforms, services, and tools so that you can simplify and automate your cloud infrastructure wherever your workloads and applications run and however you run them. Discover how leading companies, from cloud-native startups to global enterprises, are automating, simplifying, and optimizing their cloud infrastructure with Spot by NetApp. Check them out at spot.io slash cloudcast, where you can find more information, quest a demo, or even start a free trial. That's spot.io slash cloudcast.
1: Today's show is sponsored by Okta. Okta the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's Identity Cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof, with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O-K-T-A dot com.
0: And we're back. And folks, you know, as you know, there's a lot of topics that uh, we cover on the show, but there are certain core topics that uh, that people really are attracted to. They want us to dig into more and more. And uh, you know, is one of the things that we love to do is is dig in not only you know into the technology, but also kind of the the data, the reality, the trends that are, that are behind that. And, and obviously, containers and Kubernetes is is a big part of the technology story today. It's a big part of what a lot of companies are, are doing. They're using. They're experimenting with uh, containers and Kubernetes. Uh, they're beginning to deploy applications in there. Uh, you know, we we've, we've crossed over the five and six year uh, anniversary of, of Kubernetes being launched. So really excited today to, to dig into that a little bit more and excited to do it with our good friends from Datadog. So uh, excited to have Michael uh, Gerstenhaber, who is Senior Director of Product Management, focuses on this space. So Michael, great to have you on the show. Welcome.
2: Likewise, thanks so much, Brian.
0: Yeah, um, so we're going to dive into this. Um, you know, obviously, one of the things we love doing uh, with uh, you and the, the good folks at Datadog is we dive into the data. You guys uh, do some some surveys, periodic surveys, where you know you look at actual usage. Before we dive into that, give us a little bit of your background, um, kind of you know how you you got to to the space that you know you're working on at Datadog, but also just some of your background, so folks uh, you know have a sense of uh, you know kind of the breadth of, of where you've been.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm a software engineer at heart. I started my career in software engineering at at Cisco Systems. And back then I was working on uh, a network management. Network management is a little bit different than what we do here at, at Datadog, at least for now. We don't Focus on provisioning the way that that a network management tool does. We we, we do monitoring, but otherwise, it was a nice uh, primer for for what I do now. I got into the business side uh, in the startup world when I when when I joined a a company that delivers video games uh, streaming, uh, and then that tapered off. I I, I joined. I joined Datadog and, and got back to my roots, uh, working with with dev tools with engineers. It's interesting because you can come to product management from a lot of places, I think. But having built uh, engineering tools, built dev tools that are are used by other engineers, the the audience for my products were a lot like me, and and I think it just helps a lot to to know where where the engineer at the keyboard is is coming from when you're building this particular sort of product
0: yeah no absolutely it's uh you know we we've, we've always We've always sort of aspired and, and, and enjoyed talking to folks who've sort of lived with the pain, I guess, if you will, of of some of the things that that their new technologies are solving. Um, they you know they they know that they work. They've sort of proven them over time. They've lived with the pain of it. Uh, so excellent to, to kind of get that background. Um, you know, as I mentioned at the open, we're going to talk about container usage. Um, you know, like we mentioned, Datadog publishes a great sort of state of containers and, and sort of insight into it. As you look at container usage, especially in the public cloud, obviously there's usage. In on-premises and data centers, but but particularly in the public cloud, um, you know, just beyond kind of the rapid pace and growth, what are what are some of the big trends that you are seeing that you're sort of following as you're thinking about you know new tools that you want to bring? But but kind of what are the the sort of bigger trends that you see around container usage?
2: Yeah, it's funny how this the answer to this question has sort of evolved sure. over the years, right? Four years ago when we started tracking this, it's our uh, people orchestrating their containers or or just running Docker containers. And, and that involved into how are people orchestrating it? What are they hoping to gain out of orchestration? Are they using Kubernetes, ECS, Mesos, Nomad back then? And now more recently, it's whether they are realizing the fruits of their, their labor. Are they seeing the efficiency uh, gains? Are they seeing... Uh, availability and high throughput product, you know, is the safe multi-tenancy that they get out of containers really proving the the value that that they got into the complexity for? So we're watching different different things, and and recently it has been around newer technologies like like service meshes. We, we we've studied the container, the utilization of containers. Compared to the limits uh, assigned to them, whether people are optimizing by by assigning limits and, and bin packing uh, and and that sort of thing.
0: No, it makes makes sense. And uh, you know, like I mentioned, the the reports that you guys put out go into really nice amounts of detail. I, I you know, I'm always a little bit surprised. You know, we we get newer technologies; they come out. Um, in some cases, people talk about containers replacing VMs and, and obviously we used virtual machines as a way of, of bin packing, trying to be more efficient. I, I'm still sort of surprised as I look at some of your data, which is, you know, pulled from real real usage, just you know, we're still not great at that, right? We have these sort of sophisticated tools, but we're still I think psychologically, we're not completely, uh, you know, convinced that we need to use a hundred percent of resources or you know all the memory we've allocated. Are, are you surprised at sometimes how inefficient um, people still are, even with more modern technology?
2: I guess I, I guess there was a time that that I was surprised by that. But if you think about when when you say more modern technology, we have to keep in mind uh, how modern it is. You, mm-hmm. you you mentioned at the top of the hour that that Kubernetes itself just crossed the five six-year mark, right? We're not talking about uh, job descriptions with with decades of experience here. So I think a lot of people recognized the the promise in container orchestration and, and in containers themselves but but bringing their applications into an orchestrated ecosystem requires a migration right only only very recent apps were really born into containers but otherwise people are lifting and shifting old java apps with 30 concurrent processes into into containers and then doing the manual labor of uh, of breaking it apart into, into microservices and figuring out precisely how many how many resources these things will use ninety nine percent of the time and understanding CPU throttling and the um killer and the repercussions of all of all of these things it's like it's a lot of mechanical understanding uh, that you have that goes into optimizing so so first. There's this serialization. First, we move into containers and then we optimize containers. And I think while the, the fact in our uh, study showed that people are, are generally poorly optimized, it is showing that people have moved there and they have started that optimization process, which implies increasing maturity, uh, as you would expect over, over a period of time. Yeah.
0: Well, and that makes sense. It's it's uh yeah, you you forget if you live in this space a lot, you feel like it's been going on for a long time, but you're Exactly.
2: Right, it's, it's, you know, 5
0: <laughs> or 6 years is a, you know, blink of an eye in in the in the bigger picture of things. I'm curious, one of the things that I've I've learned over the years with uh with containers and Kubernetes is, you know, there was there was sort of in the early days people would kind of bring existing tools to the space and they would just assume, well, you know, this this tool for logging or monitoring or whatever, you know, security worked pretty well for VMs. You know, this is this is Linux, it's still sort of... And then over time, you realize, like, now there there are some unique things that you have to do with the way containers work, right? Whether it's, you know, how they're ephemeral or whether it's whatever. What are some of the things that, that you guys at, at Datadog have had to do um, to, to kind of be more, I don't know, more efficient or more kind of optimized for, for monitoring containers? Like are there unique things that you have to do because it's containers or, uh, have you not seen that as much?
2: Well, I mean, it's actually helpful here that we made the decision a couple years ago to move entirely into Kubernetes. So we run all of our systems at a very high scale, uh, you know, tens of thousands of VMs, hundreds of thousands of pods, uh, yeah, I can't use real numbers, but but very large numbers. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Part of the reason we do that is to understand what it means to to monitor things in containers. Uh, I don't know the word unique does a lot of heavy lifting, but sure. the scale here is is different than in VMs, right? Each time series is tagged by a number of uh, cons- construct, especially in Kubernetes, but but in ECS as well. Uh, and also, the, the containers and workloads themselves are, like you say, more more ephemeral, right? They they churn something like 500 times faster than than uh, the VMs, the nodes uh, that underneath them. So there's this mechanical aspect of monitoring where you need to be able to store and, and query the data efficiently. And it's sort of table stakes, but it does get harder with any system, and especially when when things are, are self-hosted. So the other thing is that there are the, these tags. Nobody is really interested in what an individual container is doing. Like I say, they, they churn for pretty fast. Usually uh, the easiest thing to move into containers first is a stateless service anyway. And you have to really reason about what matters to you and what matters to your customer. Now, there's there's some irony here. In as much as the atomic unit has shrunk from a VM to, you know, even an individual process or a cluster of process that, that happened to be uh, namespaced and controlled uh, by, by a C group, in reality... Uh, you are monitoring the same durable objects, right? You are monitoring the quality of your services. The way those services behave is governed by Kubernetes, but but it's important to to, to remember that the goal here is to monitor what matters to your customers and to provide a high quality of service to your customers. So you're still going to want to alert yourself, wake yourself up at 3 o'clock in the morning if latency is growing, if those customers are having a bad time and and that's the same as ever it's where you drill down and, and try to figure out what's going on underneath that things have changed that that a process doesn't run on the host that you provisioned for that process in in the way that that you would expect so so being able to monitor a, a high cardinality a, a large number of signals and aggregate them into meaningful, surfaces is is what the the challenge is really uh with with the time series and and log aggregation
0: yeah no that and that makes that makes a ton of sense right especially like you said it's you're dealing with higher volumes higher frequency uh change rates and so forth so that makes that makes a ton of sense um one of the things that, that really surprised me is you know as i looked at it you know some of your data said hey you know, we've now reached a point, um, you know, this was uh, end of last year or this part of this year, where, you know, 50% of containers are being orchestrated by uh, by Kubernetes. Now, you know, a high number are being orchestrated, but but only around 50, a little more than 50% are by Kubernetes. What else is driving the the, the orchestration? Is it, uh, you know, is it still legacy things, you know, a Mesos or a Swarm? Is it, Primarily ECS is it some other homegrown stuff like do you have a sense of what makes up that other fifty percent given just given how much everybody talks about Kubernetes? I was sort of surprised the number wasn't higher than that
2: yeah, Kubernetes is, is a, a very powerful tool it's a very uh, you know it's I think it's become partially the de facto standard in everybody's mind because it is open because it is portable but but ECS is enormously popular right uh, It's easy to get started with ECS. Amazon is a very popular cloud provider, and and their native tool is one that people will will take off the shelf quite a bit of the time. Uh, it's also been the the managed service, the managed control plane, the only option for that for a very long time. So unless you wanted to roll your own Kubernetes clusters on on Amazon, you you didn't have a choice. EKS came along, and and we do see very heavy EKS adoption as well. Uh, Which, which is another thing about monitoring containers, right? Is this, is this split between uh, the developer and, and the operational staff in a way that sort of backtracks a little bit from, from what we saw in the shift to DevOps over the years. Uh, Kubernetes ECS can be very complex platforms that require their own care. So in as much as in the DevOps world, an individual application team would provision their own infrastructure. Now they're provisioning their own workloads on the infrastructure managed by another team, right? And the less that people have to take care of the boilerplate parts, the control plane, uh, the API layer, the better. And and ECS was was a common and has been and still is is a common component to use. For that. Right, right.
0: Well, and I, and I think, you know, as you as you laid out, right, the, you know, more and more people would just sort of like things to be taken care of for them, especially if you're on the developer app side. So we're seeing things like Fargate, we're seeing things like GKE Autopilot. I mean, like we've seen, you know, our, our industry has a tendency to sort of see ideas that they like, and sort of adopt them into other places. So, you know, the, the things that ECS has done with fargate under the covers i think we're seeing that with eks we're seeing it with autopilot we're seeing exactly. it in other spaces as well so yeah that makes that makes a ton of sense
2: uh, and and we do see fargate uh, exploding in usage we integrated with uh, with uh with autopilot uh recent release and and i th- i did think, think that's a very strong pattern as well right
0: right um another another thing that sort of jumped out at me that i don't know if it, if it it seemed initially sort of counterintuitive but sometimes things in containers sometimes feel counterintuitive. It was, you know, in larger clusters, you're also seeing, so larger <laughs> clusters, meaning more nodes, you're actually seeing a lot of those nodes be big nodes. And, you know, for a long time, you know, we talked about sort of uh, pets and cattle and, you know, you'd have smaller nodes because they would, you know, you don't have to do as much. Were you surprised that sort of volume also drove sort of largeness of, of nodes? Or does that, is, there a, is that a correlation that sort of made sense to you?
2: yeah so with these studies, we don't always derive uh, a causal relationship so much as a you know this is the actual behavior and it's it's hard to say for sure why something happens but uh talking to customers, I think one of the things that that we find is that there's this tension between the efficiency that the scheduler can can use to 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 schedule. Uh, which which benefits the large node and the blast radius of any outage. If you have a large node with tons of workload on it and it goes down, all of a sudden you have to reschedule, you know, thousands of replicas, and you can run into trouble, capacity problems, uh, not being able to, to to fit those workloads somewhere. I think what we do see is that it becomes harder and harder to manage clusters of large. Sizes right, a hundred node cluster, two hundred node cluster is, uh, in my experience, for a large customer on on the large side of the median. And when you get up to five hundred node clusters, it's 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 very large. So as you add nodes, it becomes harder to add more nodes, and and you tend to vertically scale those nodes because it's a little bit easier than adding nodes. And then when you can't vertically scale them anymore, it becomes uncomfortable to do so. You start you start adding more, so there's sort of a zig, zig and zag uh, there as as you optimize your your clusters.
0: Yeah, and and I guess that makes sense. I, I think I remember you know in the early days of Kubernetes there was there was some early work done of you know can we test a thousand node two thousand node cluster and the CNCF had done some stuff and exactly. had done some stuff and and now we don't really hear about that much anymore. You know we heard about the the one you know fifteen thousand node uh, GCP thing, but but I, like you said, I think the trend we see is more. Smaller clusters, just because you know as you mentioned, managing them and then dealing with the life cycle of them becomes a little more challenging so uh, i guess yeah, now that I think about it that does for 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 when you do it, uh the nodes within it would would make sense to be a little bit bigger i, I think that sort of leads me to to ask about a, a second piece that I think is somewhat correlated or you know somewhat related to that, which is you know you 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 highlight that the majority of of users. Are running older versions of kubernetes older being you know several releases behind what's the main upstream i'm curious um you know you you obviously datadog doesn't necessarily sell kubernetes but you, you talk to to users and so forth do you find they wish uh the releases came out less frequently hence why they're further behind or just you know do you think we'll have to see the industry have to adapt to to make longer life cycles of kubernetes like three months four months is pretty quick to have to be constantly churning You know, cluster versions and so forth.
2: I mean, these these versions of Kubernetes are coming out rapidly, in part because it is a young product, and they are adding a ton of features at at a very high velocity. Right. It it really does speak well to the popularity of of not just the consumption of the product, but uh, the rate at which people are are donating back to the product and how many developers are are excited to work. On the project, so I don't think anybody. Well, I could be wrong, but it's not like I'm hearing that people wish they would throttle back or anything. But I, I do think that we see main part of the distribution shifting backwards in time a little bit, uh, and, and might continue to do so, just because this is an infrastructure component when you're when you're running a company and you have thousands of workloads, hundreds of thousands of workloads on. A Kubernetes platform, and that's serving production customers, right? This isn't a science experiment anymore. Everybody has moved from staging, from development, into production. Some people have lifted and shifted their entire uh, infrastructure into their Kubernetes clusters, so that they have a basis on which to continue iterating. If the platform goes down, that's that's a real problem, right? Right. Uh, I think teams want practice with the new features with the new levers there's a lot of vocabulary to learn in in kubernetes and every release adds some more of that so so i think teams just naturally uh feel conservative about making major update updates that that could have breaking changes uh on something that touches so much of their customer base right right exactly
0: um you know like i mentioned the, you know this this the, the work that, that you guys published is you know entirely focused on you know what's being run in the public cloud aws azure uh, gcp and and others <clears throat> are you surprised at um, you know how many people run stateful workloads on top of kubernetes when you know, they have uh, database as a service, ML as a certain, you know, other sort of immediate as a service also right there. Are you surprised at how many still run things on Kubernetes as opposed to running them off cluster? Or,
2: you know, do you have any? Yeah, ML I mean, stateless them? services is definitely, a stateless services is definitely easier to run. And, and like I said, Datadog runs quite a large uh, time series database and, and uh, event service, uh, event store, all on Kubernetes, and we certainly know the difficulty there. But we also, I guess it's 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 not surprising in part because we do it, and 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 it works so well for us, right? right? Uh, it's definitely more difficult, but you have to run stateful uh, workloads somewhere, uh, and and Kubernetes does provide a lot of assert- uh, affordances to to make it possible to run it in Kubernetes and, and realize a lot of the benefits that. You moved there to begin with. Uh, For uh, am I surprised? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, I,
0: I, I mean, we are seeing you know every major database, whether it's vendor or project, you know, making their stuff available on Kubernetes, whether it's through an operator or something else. So, I, I, yeah. I, yeah, it's I, I, I say like surprising. I mean, I think people want to make their stuff run in all the places people want to use it. I was just I was a little surprised, just given that you know an RDS is you know, right there, you can click on it, as opposed to like you said. Taking on this thing, which is somewhat more challenging in Kubernetes, uh, at
2: some people time. definitely do use the the, the first party products of the cloud providers. It's not like we're seeing RDS taper off or anything that is enormously powerful. But for the reasons that uh, people were running their own databases, their own staple services, anyway, they already made that that calculation right when when they decided to invest in in their own proprietary. Uh, solution for something, and and those calculations don't really go away just because they adopted Kubernetes for for their stateless workloads. Sure, sure.
0: W- one last question. I'm going to ask you to put your a little bit of your crystal ball uh, hat on. You know, as as you're thinking about, you know. Trends that you're you're watching evolve over time. What what are some of the things that are, you know have you curious or have you know kind of piquing your interest in terms of container usage trends around the container ecosystem? Whether it's a service mesh, serverless, you know way people are doing security. What are some of the things that that kind of you know uh, you have on your radar screen, if you will?
2: Yeah. So uh, one of the ones that I think is going to be in the immediate future that that I touched on earlier is that people are ready for. Optimization, right? The the reason people chose Kubernetes is, is not just to have an you know an API entry point to to deploy apps, but also to scale those apps up and and just as importantly down uh, based on volatile usage. And and the the down part is actually important. People do want to optimize costs to, uh, without without sacrificing performance. And now that we've Shifted into Kubernetes, into ECS, people are are at the maturity stage, are ready in the immediate future to, to to be optimizing these workloads, and I'll be paying close attention to that. We are seeing some some service mesh mesh usage, especially in development environments. People are are getting a feel for that, but I do think that there's a, a natural alignment with Kubernetes uh, and, and and ECS, and, and I do imagine we'll see more of that. I also see uh, serverless containers as being just enormously popular right if you have a container image you've already you've already turned your your application into a docker image uh, if you can give that docker image to AWS or Azure or GCP and just say hey run 12 of these you know run 100 of these whatever, uh, and not have to worry about anything. Uh, it's, it's a very good developer experience. And, and I think that's bearing out both in the products that, that the cloud vendors are building and the consumption of those products. And, and I expect it to be a fairly strong pattern. Another one, uh, one last thought that, that I have, you touched on, on security and, and I'll layer on compliance a little bit, but people are figuring out what isolation means on shared Hardware, right? Uh, again, we're we're going away from each app team having their own hardware, and now we're talking about maybe namespace isolation in Kubernetes uh, and how to use namespace isolation and RBAC in Kubernetes, and and that's definitely something I expect to people to to get more and more sophisticated with in in the coming uh, in the coming years. Uh, we're already seeing a lot of development in, in, in that area in, in our customer base, even. Even changing in the last quarter or so, uh, usually an increase in sophistication there.
0: Interesting, interesting. Very good stuff. Michael, thank you so much for, for the time today, for, for sort of the insight. Uh, you know, it's always good to, to sort of dig into the numbers, but then it's also kind of good to be able to get some context around it. So, folks, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. I want to thank Michael for the time today. I want to, you know, on behalf of Aaron and I, uh, we're going to wrap up there. We want to thank you, as always, for listening to the show, for telling a friend, for helping us grow the community, and for giving us some feedback uh, in all the places that you find your podcast. So, with that, I'm going to wrap up, and we will talk to you next week.